Caution. This episode contains strong language. Let me ask you hypothetically speaking, okay? If I was with Tim while he killed his dad, what should I have done? What would have been my choices? My choices would be either A, freak the fuck out and, and what I would have, let me be completely honest with you, if I was there and if he, if I'm with a motherfucker in this type of situation that you're talking about and out the blue apparently they just kill the motherfucker in front of me and it's just us three, I'm killing the motherfucker that killed them. Because I'm not involved in this dumbass stupid shit. You understand that on me? Or, or, or I, what, do what? I go ahead and help him. Why would I help him? Because I was scared of him, maybe? Or, let's see, I'm, why don't you go to the police? Well, the police ain't never did nothing for me. And they've lied to me, and they've tortured me, and I've been a victim of injustice my whole entire fucking life with the police department. So, there are reasons that need to be known about me to, to, to understand the whys. From the Blade, this is Code 18 Unsolved. Bonus episode, Michael Johnson Steps Forward. Yeah, Code 18 just references the radio code that we use when we describe a dead body. If you listened to the last episode, you know that I had been trying to track down Michael Johnson for months to ask him about the trip he told police he took with Tim Darrow to dump a barrel hours after Tim's father went missing. But I couldn't find him. Something I didn't share before, Michael Johnson is homeless, so he moves around a lot. I was never able to find an accurate address or a working number to reach him. Eventually, I had to give up and write the episode with what information I did have. But then, something interesting happened. Michael Johnson found me. Recently, a notification popped up on my Facebook page showing a man named Mike, with an apparent fake last name, had sent me a direct message. When I opened it, it said, Hello, have you been trying to contact me? I asked him to clarify who he is, and he responded, My real last name is Johnson, and I have been accused of helping and being with Tim. Michael said friends had told him over the last few months that a Blade reporter had been asking around for him, but he never thought to return my calls until he heard that his name might come up on the podcast. He had started listening to some of the episodes and wanted to know what I was going to say about his involvement in the case. He said he fell smack dab in the middle of the investigation unknowingly, and he claimed his life has been even harder since. He is homeless and accused Toledo police of harassing him the last three years with charges in an attempt to squeeze him for more information. And admittedly, he said that pressure is the only reason he stepped forward in the first place, back in December 2017 while in the Wood County Jail. 
But even after telling police all he knew, he said the harassment hasn't stopped. So he reached out to me to share his story for what he hoped would be the last time. This, he said, is his definitive story about what happened on the night he helped Tim Darrow dump a barrel in a vacant field in Michigan. I wish that I could play all of his interviews for you so that you could hear his story in full, but across three days of talking with him, both on the phone and in person, I have a total of over four hours of recorded discussion. Obviously, I'm having to cut that down quite a bit. Some of our talks don't directly pertain to the investigation or are repetitive though, so I did my best not to leave out anything important. This is Michael Johnson's story. Hey, Jaden, this is uh, Michael. Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm all right. I ain't for that night. <laughs> That's always rough. Yeah. It's not as bad when, you know, when it's all natural, when it comes from natural reactions to the body. A little stress and anxious. You're feeling stressed and anxious? Oh, definitely. You, I mean, you, you, I mean, if I wasn't, that would not be good for nothing, right? Well, I, I don't really know your situation. I don't know why you would feel stressed that, that, and anxious. That, that, that's, what, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, first and foremost. Like, what sure. do you know about me? This was our second time talking on the phone, and Michael was stressing to me that he wanted me to understand his past and all he'd been through in order to understand what happened with Tim and how he came to be in the position he's in now. It was a very confusing and frustrating conversation and seemed to only be going in circles. Particularly, he was upset about being identified as a tipster in the case because as he told me numerous times in our conversations, he's not a rat and when you live on the streets, you accept a certain code of silence. If something goes down, you didn't see it, you didn't hear anything, you don't know anything. And that's largely the code he's lived by most of his life. So he wanted me to really understand what made him break his silence this time. In order to do that, he asked me to compile all of his criminal records. But you're asking me to reiterate some stuff and then explain the whys. I can't explain the whys of my behavior without paperwork showing you my reasonings, and there's paperwork to prove why I reacted in this situation the way I have. And just go back to this July 27th, and since then, find out the first time they picked me up and what happened to me since then, and what they've done to me, and what they trumped up on me, and what I've been through. I ain't lied about nothing. And I ain't told everything. I ain't obligated to until somebody can show me that I can trust them. And I can't trust these I can't trust nobody. Show me some trust and you get some more answers. I set out to meet his request. The first thing I learned about Michael is that he spent a large portion of his adult life in prison. At 19 years old, he was convicted of breaking and entering with intent in Oakland County, Michigan. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and 105 misconduct tickets kept him there all 15 years. A summary of his record from the Michigan Department of Corrections 
shows he was cited for not following rules at least 50 times and for assaulting staff or fellow inmates 32 times. He claims he had to defend himself. In prison, it's attack or be attacked, he said. So he learned how to survive. Survive was his word. And that mentality followed him into the civilian world when he was released in 2007. A string of crimes seemed to trail him wherever he went. Traffic infractions, disorderly conduct for refusing to leave a location, and then his most serious charge came in October 2016 in Toledo. Michael was accused of aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon and felonious assault for allegedly beating a man unconscious with a gun. The case was bound over to Lucas County Common Pleas Court, but eventually dismissed. The victim didn't appear for court. Up to this point, he's averaging about a case a year, but all that changes in August of 2017, less than a month after Alvin Darrow Jr.'s disappearance. In the three years that have followed, he's been accused of 13 charges related to drug possession, resisting arrest when asked to leave a local emergency room on a chilly January night, having a stolen credit card in his pocket, and not providing his real name to officers when asked. He's been jailed five times in those cases, staying so long on low bonds he couldn't pay that by the time he got to sentencing, he was credited for time served and released. This record, he says, is proof that police have been harassing him. Now, Toledo Police Detective Bill Goodlett refutes any claims of harassment, saying Michael came to them to talk two of the three times the former lead detective on the case, Detective Deborah Hahn, met with him, and his charges speak for themselves. But Detective Goodlett did try to speak with Michael himself just a few weeks ago, but said Michael refused. So he left and told Michael police were moving forward with the case without him. It is not to our advantage to try to strong-arm somebody into talking to us, Detective Goodlett told me. Still, Michael claims those charges are the only reason he talked to begin with, and he wouldn't say more to me until I gathered all of that evidence, as he calls it. So now that I had a better understanding of Michael's criminal record up to this point, and of the pressure he says he was under, we agreed to meet at an area library to finally talk about what happened with Tim Darrow on July 27, 2017. Because of coronavirus, I was wearing a mask. For clarity of the audio, Michael was not. I started by asking Michael how he knew Tim. I met Tim when I was living at Fox Run in Toledo, Ohio. What is Fox Run? It's an apartment complex. Okay, so you guys are he like lived Yeah, I met him because he works on cars. He's a strong dude. And what attached me to him the first time I was in his apartment, I nodded out on heroin. When I woke up, he says, you ever on that shit in front of me again, I'm going to beat you and wake you up until you stop it. That's what tell me, like, there's a time a man say something to me. I'd have rocked with him right then. But I know that he's telling me something out of something that I need to know because I ain't got to say why I knew. You know what I'm saying? I felt that from him. That's what bonded me to him. You felt like he was looking out for you he then? He was, absolutely, absolutely. Would you call him a friend? No. Ever, no. I've never been a friend of his. Building a friendship with him, associated with him, right to the day I am. When was the last time you saw him? Over a year. 
maybe a year and a half, maybe two years. What What was the situation? How did you see him? The last time? Mm-hmm. That's irrelevant right now. What's important was the time that I was with him during the missing of his father, right? Isn't that what's essential? We jumped right into the story. Michael said Tim would reach out to him on occasion and they would hang out. He'd use marijuana, eat food, maybe get some money off Tim, and that's it. They were never really close, to the point where Michael says he didn't even know Tim's father's name or his brother Jeremy's until after Alvin's disappearance. He never met either of them. Inadvertently, he was aware of the stolen motorcycle, though, because he said he was at Tim's house with a woman getting high a couple of days before July 27th when a motorcycle pulled into Tim's driveway. But what's important is that is about this barrel. You asked me what we did, et cetera, et cetera. Well, two days before that, I was with my friend Jen at his house, inside his house, and that's when the motorcycle, a motorcycle pulled into the house, okay? Tim said, I got to go outside. He went outside. He came back in. He said, his garage. His dad just brought a bike, put it in the garage, in the conversation. So he said, you know, I got, my dad just brought a motorcycle, and then that was like the end of that's the it. conversation. That's it. For that day. That's then, a couple of days later. And then I didn't see him until this night. Okay. For sure. That, that Now we're thinking and I'm thinking and that this is a fact. I know that I was with Tim when a bike came into his driveway. He went outside, came inside, said his dad dropped off a bike. I was with him that night. I wasn't with him again until he picked me up on the 27th at 7, 8, 6, 30, whatever. The bike never had any meaning to Michael. He says he never even looked at it. But this does seem to confirm again that Alvin did buy the stolen motorcycle, or otherwise obtain it, and bring it to Tim's house. Okay, so fast forward a couple days later to July 27, 2017. Michael says Tim called and offered to pick him up to hang out again, and he said he didn't think anything of it. He can't remember exactly the time Tim picked him up, as you just heard, but he says by 7 p.m. he is sure that he was with Tim at Tim's house on Dean Avenue. By that time, no one has seen or heard from Alvin Darrow in nearly three hours. So he just picked you up and said, do you want to no, hang out? No, 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 I can't, I'm not, I can't tell you exactly why he picked me up, what he said, the reason why he was there. Um, in my life, he gets a hold of me, hey, you want to pick me up? I have nothing, no money, no none. I'm a drug at boom, 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 Tim, vehicle, time with Tim, take me out to eat. We talk, have a good time, drink some beers around some ladies. It's a good time. It's peaceful. There's a lot of male aggression, but there's never no one ever worried, scared, nothing that's going to harm me, him, put me in any situation where I'm in trouble mm-hmm. unless I'm doing something. To my, the only thing around Tim I've ever been around with myself that would make me in any shit is me having hair when I got a conflict with Tim if I'm trying to do that around him. Other than that, the environment he's ever created with me up until this night, this moment, non-chaotic would be the better word. Okay. Okay. Um, is there a point at... During that night when you get back to Tim's house that you feel like it's different from all the other times you've hung out with Tim? More than likely from the time he picked me up. Why was it different? I can't answer you why. Because if I ask you why, then I don't know why he was different. The no, energy, the energy, the yeah. energy. What did you feel? Did you a- feel Aggression, anger, fear. All those. Chaos. He was chaotic. He was in his own element, which is his life, and he was... He was functioning high. He was moving fast all over. That'd be the best way for me. I can't tell you what he was thinking, what he was feeling, what he was seeing. Did he do anything outside of his normal? 
that I would expect from him? No. So he picks you up mm -hmm. and you come back to the house mm -hmm. and then what? At the house this night? Mm -hmm. On the 27th. On the 27th, we end up moving his barrel. That's the first thing he said. I don't know. I can't tell you. This what's what's fucking important. I'm sorry for talking that way, but that's what's important here. I, I can't detail. Did we go there smoke some weed? Yeah, I, I mean that's me for the details of what we did. Probably came there, went inside, I looked at his iguana, got aquariums. We might have sat down, watched some TV. We might have drank a beer, ate some food. I'm definitely smoking weed. He's not really a big weed smoker, but he he, he smoked weed too. Smoking weed, kicking it, and we ended up moving the barrel. I want to find the barrel too. I didn't break into this house. I didn't know about it. I didn't put his dad in. Did Tim kill his dad in front of me? No. Was I with Tim when he killed his dad? No. Did Tim kill me? Tell me he killed his dad? No. Did I help put Tim's daddy in the barrel? No. Did I put drugs in the barrel? Did I put in the barrel? Did I put anything in this barrel? Do I know anything in the barrel? No. Did I help move it? Yes. that you helped move it was it already in the back of his truck no or where it, was it was it? it was by the garage in the garage door of the garage so. okay so you helped like put it in the back of the yes. truck and then you guys took off yes was that but we're also looking for his dad okay you gotta get this tim time. we gotta find my yes okay. yes because yes and he said, i'm just to see when i get i don't know what to say but yeah it's so my energy is i'm trying to fucking dad i'm ready i'm not thinking about it well we got I'm not thinking about that. Let's get you. Where's your dad? Your dad's in trouble. I'm ready for you. I'm here with you, dude. And I'm high. So I'm really amped up. I'm matching his name. Why didn't you get or question about the barrel? Then I don't give a fuck about that barrel. I'm wondering about your dad because we're quick. Everything's quick. Everything's moving quick. Of course, everybody's moving quick. You feel me? I'm moving quick. He's moving quick. You're asking me why I didn't stop and slow down. Oh, why would you just go in and move so I'm not asking questions? I don't give a fuck about that. I'm no, I'm talking that. about where I've been through an interrogation. Sure, yeah. I've been through all this through interrogation already. Absolutely. I have nothing to hide what I've said in interrogation. And it's obvious I ain't said nothing to get anybody in trouble in interrogation. I ain't said nothing that Tim, what I've been being asked, I do not have. Mm -hmm. I've been trying, I'm, I need to say it real quick. Um, been squeezed out of giving information that in my mind that already put together would put me in a situation that I'm not going to get out of. And I still feel that way right now. What do you mean? That I helped move the barrel. I mean, I've obstructed justice. Something's in this barrel is related to the crime, either missing stolen items or a body is in this barrel is the only conclusion anybody can have. I had the same conclusion. I helped move it. I kept the moving other barrel quiet for a minute. Why did I though? My life. Can't trust nobody. I can't even trust somebody that just killed somebody. Or I know killed him. If that comes down, that didn't happen with Tim. I've been in those situations before in prison for sure. You, do you understand that? So, as a man in prison, somebody get killed in front of you, what do you do? You, you say something, you're dead. You've got to either trust the person that's there or you don't. A lot of times, a lot of times two come to deal with one and only one leaves. Do you understand that? Well, you know, Does that make sense to you, though? My life in prison. So you're asking me in a moment why I wouldn't say nothing immediately. Once in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying?
Well, and I, I want to ask you a very important question about okay. that. About when you say you don't like being questioned about why you didn't say something immediately. No, I'm telling you um, why I didn't. No, I, I understand that. But related to that, right. when in your mind did it become apparent to you that that barrel might mean something more than just throwing trash? When I was told by the police that they had looked into me and Tim scrapped in the car the next morning and nothing was in there, which was down the line. Nothing was in the car? Yeah. I kind of thought that if anything I did with him, maybe in this car his dad was because it was scrapped, so it's crushed and it's gone. And that car was picked up from his uncle's house and taken someplace very uh, not by the laws of scrapping a car. And that was a day later or a couple days later? No, that Or the same day? Are you, are you asking me that question to mix me up or are you really? No, uh, I, I'm really confused. I'm trying to understand when the car That's a happened. great question, by the way. Um, it was the next morning. Okay. The next morning. Because then I was topped off late at night, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. He picked me up 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Dropped me back off 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He was apprehended real quick after he dropped me off. This is the first I've heard of the theory that Alvin might have been placed into a vehicle that Tim and Michael took to a scrapyard the morning after Alvin's disappearance. I wondered if the scrapyard could have anything to do with why Tim was muddy when people saw him the next morning. But from Michael's timeline, it doesn't. He says Tim picked him up early the next morning and drove him to Alvin's house where family was already gathered. Remember, Tim, Rocky Conley, and Peggy Descamps walked through Alvin's house the morning after his disappearance before Jeremy Darrow reported his father missing. I was with Tim when he first went to the house, when everybody else was at the house looking for his dad. I was in his truck. When he pulled up, Tim looked at me and said, maybe I shouldn't have brought you there. I didn't care. Okay, I'm here. At this moment, I didn't know nothing. When we got in the car to leave the property, Tim got a call from Jeremy, and he drilled Tim like two or three times. You sure there's nothing you need to tell me before I call the police, Tim? When that was going on, my energy kind of changed with a lot of shit. Because here's a brother, and I didn't even know, yeah, I said Tim's a friend, I didn't know Tim really, I think I knew he had a brother, I heard. I didn't know his name. I knew, I didn't even know his name was Jeremy, could pinpoint it until I hear his call to 911 about his dad, or in, in, your, in your podcast. Okay. This is when I find out Jeremy is Tim's, that's his name. But he received a phone call. I say Jeremy, but at the time that I know it was Jeremy, I can't sure. say I did. He received a call from his brother, and I can hear. Are you sure there's anything you don't need to tell me before I call the police to him? So I can confirm right here, from the beginning, Jeremy was worried that Tim did something to his dad. That means a lot. That's new information. I was with Tim when he first went to his house when they're looking for his dad the next day. I do not believe I've ever said that on record. So after walking around Alvin's house and with everyone at Alvin's trying to figure out what to do next, Tim leaves. He and Michael grab a car at his uncle's house just across the street from Alvin's and they take it to be scrapped. And Michael said of all of the suspicious or criminal things that happened between him and Tim, this is what he thought would be most helpful to police. Not the barrel. But he says it wasn't helpful. Police kept coming back to him asking if anything else happened that day or the night before. His answer was always no. 
Then, he was picked up on drug charges a month later. It's the only charge of the 13 that he claims is fabricated. Initially, he was accused of trafficking drugs, after police records say officers found a balled-up piece of aluminum with individual baggies of meth and heroin discarded near him during a check related to suspicious behavior. Those charges were ultimately dismissed. Then, in December, he was picked up in Wood County on a receiving stolen property charge. So finally, sitting in jail and feeling targeted related to Alvin's disappearance, Michael said he called police to tell them about the barrel. At that time, after being, you see everything I went through, yes, I called them and said I wanted to talk to them. Okay. And take them to where the barrel was at. Yes. Okay. I've divulged everything I have, knowledge to help anybody come to a resolution. And I went beyond in any way I ever did because I'm in the middle of something real serious. You know, if they didn't squeeze me so hard, I'd never talk about the barrel, about that one. Regardless of why he came forward, Michael says his story is true. He really did go with Tim on the night of July 27, 2017, up into Michigan to dump a barrel in a random field. But as far as you know, right now, that story happened. I went with, the, yes, okay. yes, that's all I can give for sure. And yes. if police said you told them at the time that you and Tim went to Michigan, drove into southern Michigan, uh, found a field with a single tree. I don't know about found a field, and I don't know about a single tree. I don't know why that would come in. Like, when you say that to me, I'm thinking real quick, like... Uh, well, that that's the scene of, of it was a field uh, with a single tree in the middle, and Tim drove to the tree, dropped the barrel, and came back. Is that different than your memory? At this very moment, no, it would not be. Like, you asked me to look now at the scenery real quick. Like, I can't see the scenery. I see you don't remember what it looked I, like? No, it's dark. It's middle of the night. Anything I may have seen, like a tree, would be because of headlights on a car. Can you tell that you're in a field? I drove, we drove through it. Turned off the road right onto a field. Okay. There's no question you can't not. So it wasn't you weren't on like a road or? Originally, yes. But you turned into a field, not That a I would describe as a field. field. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, not off a road to a road. Or nothing, just straight into like driving down the road and like you wreck, and and we keep going for a little while. And I do remember seeing the tree. That's the only thing I really saw. Okay. You know, it's dark. It's dark. Headlights are my only vision. And then Tim says, "You know, help me." I don't put know the what I don't or, know what he I'm said. Just, I know we gotta get we gotta get rid of the barrel. Exact, right. exact. But and I help put put the barrel, take the barrel out, and just set it down. Do you remember? Was it heavy? Was it light? I helped put the barrel in. Yes, it was heavy. It was heavy? Yes. Like, They've already asked me, could it be a human or whatever? It could be close. I mean... No, I'm just asking... I'm, no, I'm saying I've been... Say I'm heavy, letting what's you... What's heavy to you? Your heavy is different than my heavy. Right. So that's... I, I, I'm not good. I can't put... Like, I can't tell you how much this weighs. I, I, could, I could eyeball some things to was a certain it point. difficult I could, to lift? I, could, I couldn't eyeball a brick of cocaine. That's two pounds. I can't eyeball two pounds of something that I'm familiar with, unfortunately, for this... Like well, this phone, like like heavy, this way. Yeah, it was heavy. Did, it, did, did you strain? Were you struggling to lift it? Or was it just like, no, it was heavy, no, but no, we had no, no problem no, with no, it? No, no, Tim could pick me and his dad up by himself. So was it heavy to both of us? No. Wasn't that heavy? Like, you know, like, so heavy that it, this dude ain't big. I mean, he's fucking 
150, 180 pounds. Well, we don't know what's in. Yeah. That's why I'm just asking. If it's him, but this is a question that's drilling to try to do I, you know what I'm saying? This is a, I've been drilled that so many times. So when you drill it to him, I start getting uncomfortable. The weight of the barrel, I don't know. How much did the barrel itself weigh? I don't know. I wouldn't know that either. A, a barrel by itself with 250 in it, I can get up myself. I would struggle by myself with 250 pounds in a barrel shape. I would struggle by myself. And I'm really curious, when you say a barrel, is that like an oil drum? Is that a trash can? I could, it's dark. From the whole beginning. It's metal. It's metal. It's metal, yes. Okay. Because it, it's dark on the property at Tim's. Everything's dark. It's dark. It's dark. You know, you're asking the way that it's dark. I would assume like 55, however barrels come in sizes, 45 drums, 55, 60, somewhere in there. Okay. You know, 55 gallons, 60 gallons, something in that area. I was just curious because right, from, I'm, was, but I'm, uh, I'm reflecting. That's what I'm saying. In that there was area. a question about Tim having a trash can, but that's plastic, and you're saying this was most certainly metal. I'm pretty sure, yes. Okay, and then put it out on the ground, and you guys drive home. Right. Straight home, or are you still looking for Alvin, or what's? Do you remember? Probably not, because in my mind, I was he's not there. No, coming back, no, because we'd already left, but we came back oh. the same way. Same major street, did Alaska or Alexis, one mm. of the two, Alaska or Alexis, I can't tell you, but in the Ohio, same route back home. Okay. And um, when you went with police to try to find that area again, yeah. how did you, how did you navigate? How did you know that you took them to the same area? For you to know how I can do that would be, you'd have to ride around with me and say, let's go back. But you, you I'm, feel I'm, confident you remembered. Yeah, if my memory's correct, and then if if I if if I did really do this, then I did this from my memory of what I now think. I, you asked me about the barrel. Is it metal? I don't know. Is it steel? I don't know. Is it fifty-five drum? Is it? It's not. It wasn't all that. Sh the major thing on my find my dad. Find my dad. This is my main focus with him. I'm sorry. That's all right. It's it's busting But you see, like. The only thing I know is that Tim wanted to find his dad with me. That's all Michael could really remember about the barrel or the location where they left it. And like you heard in the last episode, if he was able to navigate police back to the same place months later, like he thinks he did, the barrel was no longer there. There was nothing to find. As for his dealings with Tim, Michael says he really hasn't kept in touch with him. They've run into each other a few times over the years, but Michael says they've certainly never discussed the barrel again. But he wonders what Tim might say to him about it now. He knows from episodes 5 and 6 that Tim denied ever having anything in the back of his truck. A barrel, a trash can, anything other than a toolbox. And he denied seeing anyone or going anywhere that night other than to his girlfriend's house. When I asked him what he would say if someone said they went on a trip with him up to Michigan, if that would be true, he said, no. After talking with Michael, I tried to circle back to Tim to give him a chance to respond to the allegations. I went to the same mechanic shop where I met him the first time, but the man there now said he hadn't seen Tim in months. Another person said that was a lie and gave me Tim's phone number. 
So I jumped in my car and I called him to see if there was a time for us to meet and talk. But Tim wasn't interested. His answer was the same as last time. He doesn't know anything about a trip to Michigan. Hello? Hello. Hey, is this Tim? Yes. Hey, Tim, it's Caitlin Durbin. Do you remember me from way back when and with the blade when I interviewed you outside of the uh, mechanic shop? Yes, I do. Yeah. So we uh, just, I had some follow-up questions, and I know you said we could come back and talk to you if we had some, and so wondering if you're available. Uh, I don't know. You guys did a really bad thing in my name. I mean, that's... I don't understand, like, I don't know, I don't know where you guys are trying to go with this. Well, what do you mean so, we did a bad thing? We're just, we're I just laying out all the facts. I, 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 to, I don't know, I don't understand it. All we're doing is laying out all the facts as they're presented, and, you know, I gave, if you listen to episode five, that's our interview, and I played as much of it in full so people could hear your full story. But what's happened, Tim, do you remember when I asked you about a trip you might have taken to Michigan? Hey, I don't know anything you're talking about. I'm at work. I have to go. I, Is there another time uh, I that I could reach you to talk? I don't know. Well, I need to know. We're, we're putting together the episode, and I want to give you a chance to respond to allegations that um, Michael Johnson went with you to Michigan and dumped a barrel in a field in, in Michigan. Because of Tim's repeated denials, Michael tells me he thinks his life could be in danger, either because people on the street think he's a rat who broke the code of silence, or because Tim knows he told police about their trip. Michael is even afraid of police themselves, what they may do to press him even harder for more details he says he doesn't have. When police tried to talk to him again a couple weeks ago, Michael says he refused. He wonders why others in the case haven't been pressed as hard. I've been twisted and tried and turned and everything else. I can't change. I've given up everything. It doesn't help anything. I don't, I don't know what else to do. Did you? I don't know why the folk, why have I went through all this and there's other characters in this trade that ain't went through no tribulations. And they've been lying from the get-go. From not, who, who calls a 704 for people running up on a property with guns, I think, they're here to steal a bike or a bike even come up like they're going to steal it. Who, gonna, how, who looks like they're going to steal a bike on a property with guns? How, who looks like, to, and for that to pinpoint, and then for Tim to story with a bike and people on the property, and now both of them know that ain't true. Mike ain't around the scene fucking there. Squeeze them fuckers. Why I've been getting fucked over for three years, and I ain't, you can't contradict anything I've said. You can't contradict my truth of this reality. I can't give a solution to this reality. I don't know it. I need people to leave me alone. Please, they need to leave me alone. Before I got to do something to an innocent cop, try to bother me about it. Because I will eventually. I've been running and running. That's why I run. I'm just saying. I have no power, control, giving you my life and my whys. I'm asking somebody to hear me and put it out there. And, you know, if you put this out there and then a cop kills me, 
At least my mom knows. At least people really know. Your whole point is if if Alvin or the stolen items were in that barrel and you helped move them, you did it unknowingly, and you don't want to be accused of something. Involved around any, I'm tired. Well, just for the final word here, um, when you say that you don't want to deal with any of this anymore, is this your final word about everything that happened? Yeah, I mean, I have nothing else to say unless it is a jury of 12 in front of me. This is the whole story. This is the whole story I had to tell to you. Continue the hunt next week in the final episode. We recap everything we know about Alvandero's disappearance and the potential motives for those who may have wanted to harm him. We also talk to his family once more about who they think is responsible for his death and their hope that someone with information will step forward and finally answer their ever-lingering question. What happened to Alvin Darrow? This remains an open investigation. If you have any information about this case or any other unsolved homicides, call Toledo Crime Stoppers at 419-255-1111. Callers can remain anonymous and there may be reward money. And help spread the word about the podcast by giving us a five-star review and recommending us to your friends. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever else you listen. You can also find the episodes and additional case information, including photos and videos, at ToledoBlade.com slash Code 18. Code 18 is reported and written by me, your host, Caitlin Durbin, for The Blade. Phil Kaplan is our producer, with original art and theme music by Danielle Gamble. Additional original music provided by Joel Roberts. Editing assistance comes from Blade editors Michael Walton, Michael Bryce, and Kim Bates. Hi everyone, this is Caitlin Durbin. I'm a Blade reporter and host of this podcast. If you're enjoying it, I invite you to subscribe to The Blade and support my colleagues in the reliable journalism that makes this work possible. The Blade has been reporting on Toledo's history since before the city itself was established. We are the newspaper of record. Go to ToledoBlade.com and click subscribe.